You've, we've all been in those situations. Maybe you're going to be in this situation if you're having family into your house for Thanksgiving. You start cleaning up, right? It seems like the more important the people that are coming, the more the people that are the more special they are to you. The the deeper we clean, the more we clean. Um, you know, we uh, as was mentioned, we had our shepherd team retreat um, this past weekend. It was an awesome time. Thank you for your prayers and uh, your notes of appreciation that I was able to pass along to the shepherd team. Sorry, I've got stuff in my pocket. And and um, so we, we were we were cleaning the house a little bit because we had uh, Saturday we spent it at our house and um, I, at one point I was looking around I kind of had this object lesson that I I I put in the the living room where we were going to be and I was like where'd it go Well Kelly thought I just had some random tools laying in the corner of the living room so she cleaned them up <laughs> but we do that we we uh, kind of scurry around cleaning things up. Um, you know, it's a it's a scary thing if we get to the point where we're looking at just garbage on the floor and thinking, ah, that's not a big deal. Or you know, we're we've got a psychological problem. Just if you got last year's newspapers stacked in your living room, all right, let's talk. Okay, we can help with that. Uh, I I actually had some neighbors at one point that were renting a house. And uh, they they had to be like escorted out of the house by the sheriff and stuff, and the house eventually was sold to somebody else. And and me and a neighbor were talking, and and he pointed out, he said, "Well, I got a little bit of concerns for the folks that uh, bought that house." And I said, "Well, why? For other reasons." And he said, "Did you ever see a bag of garbage out on the curb in the year that that family was living in that house?" No. Well, there was like a couple bedrooms full of them. Refuse to minimize your refuse. There's our play on words here this morning. Refuse to minimize your refuse. That's what this uh, neighbor was doing. Bad thing. You know, religion causes, encourages us to minimize What's, what the Bible describes as the filthiness of sin. Sin is refuse. It's meant to be cast out of our lives. It, it needs to be dealt with. Religion is just kind of a way to say, oh, this isn't a big deal. Just rub a little bit of this on it. Cover it up with this. Maybe God won't see it if you, you do this in place of it. We're told in Isaiah 64, verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds, even our righteous deeds, are like a polluted garment. Gar- wow. A polluted garment. Like a soiled garment are our righteous deeds. God's solution has always been to clean up his children through Christ. To clean us up through the person and the work of Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're told in 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're refusing. to. We, we are minimizing our refuse, the garbage of our sin, if we say that we have no sin. 
But then 1 John 1, 9 tells us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ as our Savior. So just to recall where we're at here in Hebrews, verse 26 of Hebrews 9 tells us this, Jesus Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's a significant summary statement of where Hebrews has brought us to. And then chapter 10 opens up with this kind of leading off of that. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are offered continually, that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have ceased to be offered? I'm sorry. I cannot read this morning. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So chapter 10, it's a summary. It's, it's very much a summary of the work of Christ and how his work is everything for us when it comes to being able to have a relationship with God. Here in our verses, we're, reminded, we're re- reminded of what we're offered in following Christ. God makes us perfect before him in Christ. God cleanses us from sin and the separation that it brings. God takes away our sins so that we don't have to live under their penalty. All three of those things are mentioned in our verses here, but the the focus is on how the law, any sort of legalism, any sort of works that we try to do in our flesh, they don't accomplish that. They don't accomplish those three things. Hebrews really requires getting into the mindset of the reader. There's been times where we've taken weeks and and stopped in Hebrews and said, okay, let's go look at what took place here in the Old Testament times under the Old Covenant and and how that's being referenced in the mindset of the reader in the book of Hebrews. And it takes a lot of study. To, to arrive at what is in the intended impact. What was the intended impact for these readers? How did the readers understand what was being said here? What I've found is, is that uh, as we move forward in the book of Hebrews, it's such a blessing that, that it's a lot easier to kind of get into that mindset. Um, and it's a lot easier to draw out, okay, what was the intended impact of what was said here? And I, and I hope you have found that to be true too. I, I thought it might be neat since, since chapter 10 opens with like this big summary statement of what's been communicated here in the first nine chapters of the letter to the Hebrews. I thought it'd be interesting to kind of have a little quiz here, okay, as we go through this. A quiz of how much you've learned of what's meant by things like when it talks about the law 
what, what's meant by that, all right? So here's our quiz question here. It's a, don't worry, it's multiple choice. And I'm not going to, you're not going to make you raise your hands here, all right? So when he says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, the law being talked about here is, A, possession is nine-tenths of ownership. All right, next option. B, the general term for any government authority in a TV Western. You know, the law. All right, is that what's meant here? Or the Mosaic law, which is the basis of the old covenant between God and Israel. See, I think you're very good. Absolutely. See, you guys have been listening. You guys are sharp. She's referring back to that Mosaic law, which God's privileged people of the Old Testament or Old Covenant were living under in order uh, in pursuing a relationship with God, but they were pointing ahead. It had a shadow of the good things that were to come. Understand something, the Mosaic Law was really man's best shot at earning a relationship with God. And in a sense, God was saying with it, go ahead, knock yourselves out, give it a try. And by the way, these sacrifices are pointing to the future final sacrifice of my son. He was created with the, oper- with the understanding that God was going to be just passing over sin. But he was going to pour it out on Jesus. So there's another statement here. That the, the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So what does he mean here by the... Here's another quiz question for you. The true form of these realities would be... Quote, whatever you want it to be, man. That's A. B, an uninteresting documentaries. Is that the true form of the realities? Or C, the heavenly holy of holies in which Christ presented himself as the payment for sin. You guys are probably, I I made it C again, so that kind of probably made it easier, right? No. The, the, the holy of holies in that tabernacle, it was just a picture. It was, it was casting a shadow of what Christ was going to do in the heavenly holy of holies with the presentation of his own blood that was shed on the cross, the true form of those realities. See, when the old covenant was in effect, the good things of Christ's sacrifice were to come. And we learned from Hebrews 9.11 that those good things have now come. As we read in verses 11 and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Those good things have come in Christ and in the sacrifice of himself. Our passage is really calling us to reject anything that falls short of the person and work of Jesus Christ in saving us from the penalty of our sins. 
And so following Christ means that you reject any other path to God's presence. It means that you reject, and I challenge you, reject any other path to God's presence. We're told, and now we understand what these, we're reminded of what these things mean. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 1 is saying that the law of Moses has but a shadow of the good things to come. Those good things are the person and work of Jesus Christ and the way he made open to God. The law casts a shadow of the sacrificial work of Christ. But the true work is his final sacrifice of himself. Those old covenant saints were they, they, they drew near to the mercy seat through their high priest on that day of atonement, that once a year sacrifice, what he's mentioned here, that continually offered every year is referencing that day of atonement. But they, rep- were, they were represented before God by their high priest on that special day. And he, he even, even that high priest, had to be covered by a cloud of smoke and incense. And he made that offering, having also had to make an offering for his own sins. But he wasn't perfected before God, in God's sight. The, the, the nation of Israel wasn't perfected in God's sight. They would have to return again continually every year. It was not a once-for-all offering. So, and what is the standard for having a relationship with God? What is the standard for having access to God as our Heavenly Father? It's perfection. He's referencing the fact that they weren't made perfect. They weren't given a final relationship with God through this process. These old covenant saints... They weren't made perfect by their drawing near. Their their sins were simply passed over, heaped up, until they were finally poured out on Christ. Or as F.F. Bruce says, a pardon which has to be bestowed repeatedly cannot convey the same peace of conscience as a pardon bestowed once for all. A relationship with God still, for us, requires Perfection. We're not talking about a perfection that's required in order to keep God off our case or a perfection that we just need to be able to kind of show our card. You know, when we die one day, this gets me out of hell. But it's a perfection that gives us a relationship with God. We're talking about a perfection that allows us to know God to walk with him now. And Jesus accomplished this. And we are made perfect when we recognize I'm not perfect. 
I cannot have a relationship with God. I can't even take his Old Testament way of, of coming before him and, and, and making an offering for my sins. The, the way that he inaugurated himself. I can't even pursue perfection in that way. And even if I did it by the letter of it, I would have to do it over and over again. I, re- I become perfect by recognizing I'm not perfect. I'm the furthest thing from perfect. But recognizing that Christ died for those things that make me imperfect. Christ sacrificed himself. He died for my sins. He took my sins on himself and he offers me his righteousness and I can stand before God in Christ's righteousness and that signified to me by by receiving Christ as my Savior and 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 when God he confirms that by indwelling me with his Holy Spirit and his spirit testifies to my spirit that I'm God's child and that I can come boldly before him, standing the perfection of God offers to us in Christ. It means that we can draw near to God. Trusting Christ for our access to God, in, in trusting him, we've already been challenged in Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might find receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's talking about in the time of our temptation, that we can actually come before God and say, Lord, I am not perfect. Lord, I'm being tempted by this sin. I'm being tempted to be drawn away from you. Lord, I've already given in to this sin. I need your mercy. I need your help. And why can I come before the very throne of grace? Because in Christ, he sees me. In Christ's righteous perfectness. Perfect righteousness. Have you ever, um, have you ever seen shadow art? It's really interesting. There, there's museums that have these, these uh, things just kind of on the wall and they don't, they don't seem like anything until you turn the light on underneath them. And, and the art is the shadow that they cast on the wall. Now it would be pretty strange... If I came to some man's house, my neighbor and stuff, and, he, and if he said, you want to meet my wife and child? I'm like, sure. And I walk in there, and there's just this thing on the wall, and he turns the light on, and it casts this shadow, and he's like, meet my wife. Meet my son. I'd be worried about my neighbor. It's just a shadow. You see, folks, Legalism is presented to us all the time. Ah, if you do that wrong, just do this over here to make, care, make up for it. If you, need, if you need God to do this for you, just make sure you do this and, he, and he'll do that for you. Legalism is just a shadow of the truth. And in the same way, the reason why it was so hard for the Jews to let go of the Mosaic Law is because it cast such a true shadow. But the fact is, it was intended, that shadow was a foretelling of the cross. 
That shadow was a foretelling of the final sacrifice that God was going to make. Beware of the shadows of legalism that look like a a relationship with God. Legalism promises to be a path to God's presence. But nothing could make us perfect like standing in the righteousness of Christ. In fact, we'll see in verse 14 of this chapter that the gospel tells us that God has perfected for all time those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Reject any other path to God's presence. Following Christ also means that you reject any other source of a cleansing from sin. We're told that, that otherwise, if this were the case, that it, did, if it, did, that it, it would have made people perfect. Otherwise, they would have not... I'm sorry, let me... This is a rhetorical question. This really works strangely. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? The rhetorical question that's being asked here is that if the sacrifices for the sins of Israel, if it was so effective, why did it have to be repeated every year? Again, speaking of the the Day of Atonement. No one was piping up on that day saying, hey, count me out this year. Because the fact is I haven't sinned since the last time we did this. No, there was a constant consciousness of sin. Or as uh, Warren Wiersbe says, the nation's sins were covered, but they were not cleansed. Nor did the people, nor did the people have God's inward witness of forgiveness and acceptance. There was still this consciousness of sin. King David understood this. He understood his need to be cleansed from sin when he wrote in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Or as F.F. Bruce explains, this once for all cleansing described in our passage when he says, such a cleansing as this, which means that those who receive it are henceforth clean without requiring any repetition of the cleansing was unknown. In the Mosaic Law, this once-for-all cleansing. You've heard of a bathing suit. You know, what if I created um, the never-again, the the never-bathe-again suit? Like, I got an awesome invention. It's the never-bathe-again suit. All right, you put it on, and maybe about after a month, it comes with these bungee cords. Right, And you attach these bungee cords around your shoulders so that you can't lift your arms so nobody will see the, the pit stains. Right, So that takes care of that. And then after about a month and a half, it comes with these little air fresheners that you can pin to the shirt. And that way it'll just, nobody can tell, you know, because there's going to be some funky smell going on, but you just got to cover over that. Right? You'd say, no, th- th- this is ridiculous. You need a bath. You don't need a suit that makes it so that you don't have to bathe again. All you're doing is just masking the fact that you need to bathe, bud. In the same way, again, 
all the part of the, the Mosaic law was showing God's got to pass over these sins. But the plan was that he was going to take care of those sins in Christ. And for us to think that we can clean ourselves up enough, it doesn't do the work. It's just masking the odor, folks, of our sin. We all need a spiritual cleansing. And nothing short of God clothing us in Christ's righteousness will do it. We need a cleansing of our sins before God in order to have a relationship with Him. If the priest drawing near to God on the Day of Atonement with a sacrifice made the people perfect before God, it would have been one and done. But it wasn't. That's what we're being told here. Instead of something making us holy enough to merit a relationship with God, by Christ making a single offering, God has, as verse 14 will tell us, God has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has cleansed us from the filth of our sin in Christ. And we've got to reject any other offer of cleansing from sin. It's only Christ. Sadly, today we see that basically people tell themselves and they tell each other they're, they're lacking a consciousness of sin. But it's without having been cleansed from them. Many in our culture believe that the, that the solution is basically just stop calling it sin. All right? You know, like this, would you want to work in a mine, you know, where they've got methane sensors all around? If the management was like, hey, guys, don't worry. We took the batteries out of the methane sensors. So you're not going to have to worry about those things going off and making you anxious. No, you want to know if there's methane in the mine so you can get out of there. What the, what the world is doing today is just taking the battery out of the sensor. And saying, hey, you know what? You can come here and it's going to be a safe place and we won't call what you're doing sin. It's not safety. It's setting people up for judgment. Because we need to be cleansed. And that perfect cleansing was offered by the perfect righteousness, the perfect sacrifice of Christ, offering us his perfect righteousness. And then we need to reject any other means of being cleansed because it doesn't work. Finally here, following Christ means that you reject any other promise of the removal of sin. We're told again here that those sacrifices, they don't take away sins. It says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's like, it's like they're not just not taking it away. They're just reminding the people that the sin is there. So we have another quiz here for you, okay? It's going to be a little bit tricky. I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I mixed the answers up a little bit, right? <laughs> it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin because... A, blood stains things rather than takes stains away. Right? B, God did not intend for the old covenant sacrifices to remove sin, but to cause them to be covered 
until the sacrifice of Christ. Or C, uh, it's impossible for the blood and bulls of goats to take away sins because PETA lobbied to make it impossible. If you know it's B, you have done a great job listening through the book of Hebrews. I want to commend you on that. The, the blood of bulls and goats, even in the sacrificial system that God set up, did not take away sins because they were just meant to point to the final sacrifice of Christ. We can better understand the gravity of it being impossible for the sacrificial system to remove sin's penalty by reading it with the Spanish term instead of the English term, right? It is impossible. Doesn't that make it, make it better? That kind of like stands out a little bit. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, people. The fact that the sacrifices needed to be repeated every year on the Day of Atonement reminded God's people that their sins were still a problem. Or as another writer says, moral defilement cannot be removed by material means. Moral defilement cannot be removed by material means. The sacrifices under the Mosaic law weren't just unable to take away sins. They actually brought a reminder of the presence of sin every year. Or as Warren Wiersbe also says, there was a desperate need for a better sacrifice because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins. It could, never, it could cover sin and postpone judgment but it could never affect a once-for-all redemption. Only the better sacrifice of the Son of God could do that, end quote. Do you know on the Day of Atonement, there was actually two goats involved. And so one of those goats would be sacrificed, would be, would be killed, would be sacrificed by being killed, and its blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat within the Holy of Holies that was only entered into by only the high priest and only on that day for the nation of Israel. The other goat would be sacrificed by letting it go out into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And the image of that was, was that on that day, the sins were being covered by the blood of the one goat, and the sins were being taken away, laid on that other goat, and taken away out into the wilderness. But this had to be done every year. And it signified by being done every year that it didn't stick, folks. And it just kept reminding the nation of Israel of their sin. You know, if you got mold in your basement... Or if you, if you, you know, sometimes you can have stuff in a, in a closet and you pull the stuff out and you're like, whoa, there's some black stuff on the wall there. I'm going to tell you, folks, it does not work to just paint over it. Okay? And I have a friend that has a reclamation service, like gets mold out of houses. He actually told me, if you, if you, if you spray it with bleach, all you're going to make is blonde mold. All right? You're going to have beach bottom, beach, beach bottom, bottle bleached. There you go. You're going to have a bleach blonde mold. There we go. Whoa, my mouth is not working this morning. You're going to have a bleach blonde mold in your closet. It's basically what it's going to be. 
No, you've got to get something and physically wipe that mold away. Take that mold away. Cut that drywall out. Take that away. The greatest need for every person is for their sin to be taken away. And guess what? It's done finally and wholly and fully by the same thing that cleanses our sin, by the same thing that provides us with the perfection that we need before God. It's the same sacrifice of Christ. Isn't it amazing in the Old Testament law, it was like, okay, if you do this unintentionally, you got to make this sacrifice. If you do this intentionally, you got to make this sacrifice. And make sure that you're there for the Day of Atonement when the, when the priest goes in and he makes this sacrifice. And, and, you know, the Mosaic Law is just like filled with all these different ways to atone for one's sin. Can you realize why it was so unbelievable for the Jewish people when it was like, it's all Christ? It's all in him. But that's the fact. That's the case. It's only by the offering of Jesus Christ that God has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Only then can we claim, as Psalm 103 tells us, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The law was meant to point God's people to the final saving work that would be done Now in God's new covenant, as God's new covenant people, we are to recall that God's saving work has been done. It's that simple. The old covenant could not perfect those who drew near to God's tabernacle. Through God's new covenant, we can be perfected so that we can draw near at any time. So that we can live in God's presence. And do so with confidence. And we're going to see that later on here in Hebrews 10. Verses 19 through 22 we'll read. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and with our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus paid it all, folks. He bought us the all-access pass. And all we have to do is receive it from him. Let's bow our heads. Maybe for some of you, you've been confused about this. Maybe for some of you, you're sitting there thinking, wait a second, I thought it was sitting in this seat that, that got me there. Heck, I've been doing things that the Bible tells me to do, and I thought that it was going to make me good enough for a relationship with God. But here it is, I'm hearing. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. 
If you believe that, I would encourage you to tell God that. To tell him, God, I am a sinner and nothing I do is going to change that. But what you did in Christ can change me forever. I believe that you offer me righteousness in Christ. And I receive that from you, Lord. I want to be your child. It's not anything that I've done, but it's what you did. It's as simple as that. And if God makes you born again through receiving Christ, he will indwell you with his Holy Spirit. And you'll know it. Lord, thank you so much that you give us one string for our fiddle. And it's Jesus. How amazing is it, Lord, that we can come here week after week and every day we can open our Bible and you can make it afresh and anew again. And you can confirm over and over again, man, it just keeps coming back to the God, man. Lord, our, our life becomes full the more that it pivots around that one person. We thank you so much that you made it so simple. Sim- you made it so simple for us. Lord, please help us to resist the temptation of making it complicated, of making it about us thinking that we can impress you. Lord, we want to walk with you individually in the righteousness of Christ. We want to walk with you as a church body in the righteousness of Christ and always be holding that out before our friends and family. Lord, give us boldness as we gather together with family this this season. Give us comfort as we might be grieved as we gather gather together with family this season. I pray, Lord God, that you might even give us opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ. That we do have a person that we're thankful to. It's you. We have a person that we're thankful for. It's Jesus. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.